quiet on the set. Here at WIFT, we were delighted to host a panel for the Dublin International Comedy Film Festival on 4th of December 2020. This discussion featured both local and international filmmakers, women who are creating content to make people laugh at a time when we need it the most. Panelists included filmmakers Kate Kaminsky, Megan K. Fox, Margaret Kane Rowe, Natasha Wall, and festival director Maureen O'Connell, and was moderated by WIFT Administrative Executive Gemma Cray. In part two of the podcast, the filmmakers talk about their work and the craft of comedy filmmaking. I want to go back now, right to the start. So I've done the end. I want to go back to the start when you guys are, are devising your film. Um, so you might have a script or you might be working on a script. When it comes to comedy, again, it, it's it's hard to get right. And everyone here has, has done an amazing job. But I'm just wondering what your process is from brain worm or just a script to visualizing it on screen. Do you, do you workshop it? Do you get storyboards? Do you like, do you kind of read it alone in a room, record yourself? Like what, what's the process there? So again, I'm going to start with you, Natasha, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I do. I kind of do a bunch of different things. It kind of depends on what I'm working on, but like, I suppose no matter what, I'll always do a visual treatment. Always, always. Um, so I'll always try and think about putting what's in my head on a page for someone else to look at. That's not words. So uh, like I'll try and pick a color palette or a reference pictures or a mood board or something like that. And then when I'm writing, then I always think when, especially with comedy, or kind of just like it's important with anything to think about tone. Um, but especially, I suppose, with tone and comedy, like you have to get that right because it, it to in order for the joke or the gag to be the way it should be, the way you want it to be, because otherwise it just will get lost and it won't be what it was, won't be anything. Um, so that's kind of what I would, you know, think about first and foremost if I was writing, um, especially if you're kind of thinking about wrapping the comedy around this particular subject matter. I wanted to try and make Mother into this tongue-in-cheek horror, this kind of real serious thing, because I needed people to believe what was happening to Hilary Rose's character, Grace. And I think, you know, there was definitely a time when I was developing it with Jonathan and Sharon that I was like, you know, if we could just, we could probably, this could be turned into some real goofy slapstick thing, but it's this is not what that is. And, you know, we wanted to make the make it feel quite serious so that the joke the joke of the fridge was really underlined um but yeah I suppose that's that's kind of I workshop it as well I have a lot of conversations with cast about things I love talking to cast before we go into rehearse about their characters and character backstory um even though you know sometimes they'll never you know character backstory they may never you may never see that in detail on screen but it's just so nice to have a point of reference for cast to, to kind of bring themselves in and for me as well like it's not just for them to refer to when they're when they're kind of giving their performance or kind of reaching into something but for me as well I can kind of refer to that um to that kind of conversation that we had or something like that and yeah I just I actually just did a read through for a script for the first time ever this year in lockdown it was just great and we're, I know we're talking about you know making things accessible and stuff online but it was so nice to just to get and easy to get actors on a Zoom call together to just read through the script, which was great and it was m- massively insightful. So there you go. <laughs> Mother is a very tricky one when you have yeah. an, inan- an inanimate object as your antagonist, <laughs> like, yeah. like, and you have to personify it and animate it, but like it, it and it's done very cleverly. So 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that they asked me when in the interview when they were um, interviewing us, you know, to see if we could get funding and so I could get directed, and they were like, "So, how are you going to show the fridge moving?" And I was like, "I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, it's kind of funnier and weirder if it just appears, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just kind of also trying to understand, I suppose." you know, what's too much there because it is, it is, I suppose you are kind of not directing it an inanimate object, but you're not like talking to it and telling it to do, you're not giving it motivation, but it's kind of, you are treating it like its own thing, you know, and like throughout the entire, all the time, me and Johnny talk about it as if it's a person. I faked emails to Sharon and Johnny, like signing off as Fridge, like a Christmas couple of years ago. I was like, Merry Christmas from Fridge. Like I, just, I sent them a picture, like a screen grab. I was like, look, Fridge just sent me an email. Weird. It's just me. <laughs> Oh, that's very cool. What? That? Okay, sorry. That's terrible. Margaret, <laughs> just move on. <laughs> well, that's a lesson. Listen to you, Natasha, actually. I, was, I wish I had a notebook. I should have taken notes there. That's how you, that's how you approach it because um, I have to say I'm learning as I go. And um, I have a tendency to have an earworm and then I sort of vomit onto a page and I sort of look at it. And, and then I see people, actually, it's funny. Um, I generally kind of go... I'm character driven and also I see somebody playing the part so that's generally where I start so I start there and I am learning the value of um, outlining and treatments and not getting stuck straight into a script but I think that's just a rookie mistake and everybody makes it but um yeah, so that's kind of my process. And we did a little bit of rehearsals. Mo was heroic. She, you know, I drove over to her house. It took me, I, I think I got lost about five times trying to find you. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So the director who couldn't follow directions, that was an interesting start. And um, so, uh, yeah, you did a little bit of rehearsal with Niall and, and uh, Hayley had been involved from the beginning as well. And so did Niall. So it was very easy for me to direct and I, I didn't really have to direct. I certainly didn't have to direct Mo um, um, because they kind of, they were there when I was building the characters. We chatted back and forth about who they were, what their motivation were, what their backstory was. So they had come on that journey with me as well. So um, yeah, I have to say, I think for me, the workshopping bit is very important. What Natasha says there, it's really when you hear somebody say your line and it just doesn't land, it doesn't sound natural coming out of their mouth. You have to, to sort of fix that and change mm-hmm. it around and be open to it. And then that gives people much more freedom to sort of to live the part kind of more authentically. Yeah, so that's kind of it, really. And then you just panic in the aftermath that it might be half decent. That's generally how it works. I think, yeah, definitely when things fall, being adaptable is a big thing, definitely. Because it is, like, it's organic. Like, good comedy is something that resonates with people and that, and you can hear it. Like, sometimes you have something that works amazingly in your mind and you, and it just doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't land that way. And you can explain it and you're like, oh, this is, this is my intention there. And it's yeah. and it just does not work. And it just sounds really unnatural and clunky and, and trying too hard and all of those things that you're trying to avoid, you know. Um, and as you say, it's in your head. Like I would talk to myself a lot. <laughs> 
when I'm doing my, I would, I would, I would say the lines. Now, I just a top tip: if you're in the queue in Aldi and you start talking to yourself, people move out of your way, you know, and you kind of get through very quickly. If you want to try your dialogue out there, but uh, no, I think you have to hear, you have to hear, hear it being said out loud. It's it, otherwise, it's 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 such a, it's not a static thing, as you say. It has to evolve. So, and especially when you're working with such fantastic comic talent like Lulu, absolutely, <laughs> he's brilliant on improv. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I didn't have to say anything to me. Like Mel just made it her own. It was wonderful to see, you know. I kind of was like, is that what, you know, you know, so much made it 150 million times better. But so you know that that that's top tip. 90 percent of directing is casting, isn't it? Yeah, it is really. And <laughs> um, so that, that's brilliant. And before I move on to Kate, I want to give a big shout out to Emily O'Callaghan for her pity. Ha ha ha, cool lol. But she gave some of my really bad joke. Thank you so much, Emily. That makes me feel about 10% less awkward. Thank you, Kate. Oh, we love you too, Emily. She's great. You took Emily took amazing pictures of uh for on set for, for for me for my last one. She was kind enough to do that. She's great. And she has a very um hilarious comedy short doing the rounds as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, the, the early house. Early house, that's it. Yeah. So spooky, it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a stony batter, you know, Smithfield. And the way they went about and shot, and it's like, you, I, I don't know how you can capture, but somehow you, you can just capture joy, you know, when you're making something. It can be anything, even if you're like making a drama, like really hard-hitting drama. But but when the people are kind of synergized, the filmmakers, are, you know, say, and, and they're really enjoying themselves, it really comes across in the piece. And I think the early house really captured that. I was really kind of actually really impressed with that film. And they, and they shot it like on, on weekends here and there. And like their love for the batter and for Smithfield. And I love there because I used to live near there as well. I was like, oh, this is beautiful. The way they shot it, you know, in black and white. And well, some of it, you know, like at, at, at night time and stuff, it looked gorgeous. And captured that kind of B movie spirit. Yeah. <laughs> so Emily's after saying a budget of 1200 Wow. <laughs> and, and loads of crack. Thank you, guys. Well, and everyone, keep keep an eye out for that because that's, 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 that's an excellent one. Yeah. Sorry. Kate, back to you for your... <laughs> well, how, how do you make magic happen? Well, you know, we, we actually... So I've been making films for actually a really, really long time. I won't say how long it's been so long. Um, so, but... But we work with a kind of dedicated group of collaborators. So um, Reggie Burroughs Hodges and Betsy Carson are two people that I would never want to make a film without. Um, and so we really started, we had done a live performance, a comedy live performance for a Fringe Festival in 2019. And from that, I I cast Sheila as Danielle and then um, Sophie Hill as Taylor, the terrible supervisor. And then I had worked with James Herrera before who plays Eugene. And, and I had never worked with Liz Freeman who, who plays Audra, but, but it was really, you know, we, we knew we wanted to keep the cast small. And so I really just wrote this, um, from a suggestion that, Sheila gave us because Sheila actually works for the United States Postal Service. But we just wanted, we just talked about how beleaguered delivery people 
can be. And, and so I guess I just channeled that beleaguered mentality um, and put it on the page um, and gave her a lot of people to, to just dump on her um, so that she could have such a wonderful ending. Um, but her face is fantastic. Like just that, her face, like, just like that kind of, <laughs> like it's so subtle, but like you emphasize so much where you, you get like her pain and frustration, but just like a, a kind of deadness behind the eyes as well. Uh-huh. So dealing with these people. It's brilliant. Yeah. So we, you know, it's really a pretty closed world that we are in when we're in the script and and so we kept it small in that sense you know my brother actually financed the film thank you john gailey my brother um and so we we had more resources than we normally do which was pretty cool and we were able to you know i think do a lot with it and we had some great motion graphics by a friend so it's really because i've been doing it a long time and i kind of work with the same people you know it if you're talking about short that shorthand margaret was saying it's easy to work with mo because you know mo's a great actor and they bring that you know i think it it does make the director's job really just a matter of guidance um, you know, and less about like, here's what I want you to do. And, you know, it's more about, you know, well, we didn't get that shot because, you know, we need to do this or that technically. But most of the time, I mean, all the takes were usable. It's just it was just deciding which one to use. So. Um, so anyway, um, in terms of the acting and the crew and, and so forth, it, it was really you know, it's a family affair for us because we kind of all work, you know, we, I just, like I said, I wouldn't want to do anything without Betsy and Reggie. So, <laughs> so, so, and it was a very small crew. I, I think we had one, a sound guy one day. Um, Betsy did the sound um, and Reggie did the camera. And so we, we just work really small and, and, and that's what we did. So, and, and again, it's it, a beautiful, a kind of beautiful film. That's that's again very surprising because it looks so clean and the visuals are stunning. And even the production design, I was admiring the, the picture of the uh, the blonde woman's face everywhere, which was really good when I was watching it. I have like a huge oh, yeah. big screen, so I get to see everything kind of cinema size when I'm watching stuff. So I was really oh, yeah, yeah. admiring that. I was like, you can see the detail, and that cake looked delicious. Oh, uh, you know, the cakes were, you know, we actually had to do a reshoot of the cake day. And that woman who made the cakes, who's a former student of mine, because I used to teach, um, she did two sets of cakes. I, I, the day I had to call her and go, so uh, we're going to need you to make that cake again. (laughs) Actually, two of the cakes again. So, (laughs) so, but she, you know, they, each time she made those cakes, they were uh, so perfect and they were really delicious. We had them. Red velvet. It was, <laughs> it was great. It was really, really good. Brilliant. And Megan. So, I mean, Love in the Time of Corona was kind of, a, I took the bare bones skeleton crew of who had worked with 
actually no I didn't there's only two of them sorry <laughs> and I worked with on The Shift basically um, I'd made a, a short comedy film called The Shift two years ago now I think um, and that was my first time directing comedy and it wasn't a script I had written it was written by a great writer called Mairead Kiernan so that was my that was my first time doing comedy and I absolutely loved it and when I did that because it was my first because comedy was new to me um, I did do a lot of uh, you know mood boards and a lot of prep with um, my cinematographer Evan just going through reference images and colour palettes and you know he kind of did a little uh, a kind of sizzle reel of what he kind of thought it should look like and all that kind of thing and we, we spent a lot of time on the visual palette of it on the shift but then coming to Glove in the Time of Corona you know we'd already and Fiona Bergen, who's the lead in Love in the Time of Corona, um, we had cast in The Shift as well. So when I wrote Love in the Time of Corona, I knew it had to be Fiona. Again, it just, she, I just feel like she's just funny in her bones. And the minute I started writing it, I was like, it has to be Fiona. And physical, her, her take on physical comedy is incredible. And like that, she carries so much with a look. Like, yeah. just, again, it's so subtle, but it's so truthful. Like, just that turkey scene. And on a dime can go from like so funny to so empathetic. And sells it without going over the top, which is different. Yeah. She's really good at that subtle comedy. And she's, for someone so young, she's so un uh, encumbered by, like she's, she's, she's got no ego or, or like she's, she's not afraid to do anything. You know, I can, I know with her, I can say, what about if you actually like, scratched your crotch and this she's like, yeah, I didn't know the exact thing I thought I was like that's so funny yeah she's like yeah that's hilarious that's great you know and she you know we're all like what have you can we, can we do another take of you doing those sit-ups I know we've done it like are you wrecked like yeah but she'll keep going uh she'll just do she's great like you know we have a really really great back and forth um especially kind of comedically between the two of us now where we both kind of trust each other's instinct and it's really nice um so with love and the time of crown i was very lucky that evan was ha- was available to do it and uh, and fiona as well so and and you know because of all the restrictions we had you know, having to shoot it in my apartment with blah, blah. I kind of, I did have a colour, basically looks wise, it was mainly a colour palette that I had in mind. That was kind of, because I knew we were going to be inside all the time, I kind of wanted to keep things quite bright and keeping with the kind of um, tone of it. But but loving the time of Corona, where it was different was that it was my first time writing um, comedy. So that was, that was a really fun and in like uplifting experience for me to kind of just trust my gut that stuff I found funny other people would find funny and a lot of I mean a lot of her kind of monologued camera is (laughs) almost directly taken from my own kind of (laughs) journals and thoughts going through this uh, and kind of just reframed. How so, do your flatmates feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well they're the, the, the two girls who play the flatmates in the film are my actual flatmates who are my sister and her girlfriend. <laughs> so it's, as I say, quite autobiographical. Um, so they, I mean, they were kind of the people that I was fielding things to and reading throughout and uh, getting their feedback on it. So, uh, yeah, so it, it was a really exciting um, and empowering 
thing to have to to write a comedy and to just go for it and go okay hopefully what I find funny other people are going to find funny I think the most risky one was was probably the the stuffed rat I was like are people going to think this is funny am I really weird are people going to get this joke that she's like taking up taxidermy as a hobby like during lockdown I was like I don't know is, is that yours Megan or is that like prop is that did you make that rat did you is that another challenge is that another is it <laughs> I don't actually do taxidermy. I'm not that weird. It's like that. That's where I pushed it a little bit further. Um, no, that like came into my head and I just got obsessed with that gag having to be in it. And I had to go down, um, you know, excuse the pun, but a massive rabbit hole uh, <laughs> online um, <laughs> trying to find, trying to find some kind of taxi journey that looked like it could have either been her pet or something she caught on the streets of Dublin um, <laughs> and stuffed and it was really hard to find and uh, for a very very small budget I spent too much money on it but I was so set on this gag Oh it's brilliant I, I think when we were making our film um, we had to get cigarettes that were cigarettes you know because you can't like you didn't want to set off alarms and um, my friend who was involved in the pre-production she's head of the brownies kind of troop and she's on the parents teachers association she had to go into all the vape and the head shops to try and get um <laughs> the cigarettes so she was in running down the new bridge you know with her brownies kind of kerchief thing on so yeah it's just you end up getting people to do things that they wouldn't do but it's great yeah and yeah Okay, so I really wanted to ask about shooting in the time of COVID. <laughs> so uh, I really wanted to see how it has affected you guys and the projects that you're presently working on. Um, and I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna go top down again. So we'll do Natasha first. Well, I just I just had a shoot last week. Actually, my first shoot since lockdown, um, which was exciting, and it was really nice to be back. Um, I was a bit nervous. Uh, just because of everything, and I'm 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 in the at risk category sort of, so I was a bit trepidatious. I wasn't really sure whether to do it or not. But um, I had a really great producer. It was for a music video for Declan O'Rourke, and um, we shot in Houston Station and then kind of various other train stations and the airport and stuff like that. So I was quite happy that like we weren't in a tiny cramped apartment or like I don't know, like literally on a cramped train or anything. We were in the station on the platform, and there was lots of space for people to be and to socially distance and stuff like that. And then John, my producer, was. Um, like he used the Screen Ireland guidelines and stuff like that but you know when we had the PPE so he had like this arsenal of hand sanitizer and masks and stuff like that and he just made sure that everybody knew that's that they had to be apart and there was absolutely no exception for anyone but then just when we were on then like the focus puller there was like we had maybe there was like maybe five crew like really that was it now we didn't need any more anyway because it was a music video and it was just very straightforward but you know crew wise it was just very very minimal and like Megan I'll tell you you just it's the bare minimum I mean there wasn't a massive budget for us anyway but really really bare minimum and then the focus puller like I had my own monitor like it was just my own monitor and it was attached by cable so I could be really apart set apart from him and just kind of be in my own little corner on my own little bubble and I just had like I just held on to it then all day so I didn't have to pass it back and forth constantly to, to other people um but it was it was strange but it was actually okay I kind of felt like everybody like there was no messing you know it was when that within everyone's best interest to be safe and to be well and you know they have to kind of you know because if they get sick then they can't work and then if they make other people sick then the production gets shut down so 
you know, we all have to kind of look after each other and be mindful. And But it actually went really well. And it was just a, a big kind of, it was very, I suppose, a, a reassuring that things can, can go well and can go okay and can function well and you can get the job done and do the work as nicely as you can. You just have to kind of... And was there something that was in the work pre pre COVID that you had to adapt, or was this something that you knew kind of going into your budget and stuff that you'd have to have like to say your COVID person on on set? Oh no, we just like this. This happened very very quickly, like just recently. So um, no, we didn't have like we we couldn't really have a, a COVID person, unfortunately. But again, Patrice John was just totally on it, and we had to sign waivers as well to say that we were well and that we had no symptoms and that we weren't in contact with anybody. So there was just a few loops, few you know hoops that we all had to jump through just to make sure that things were kind of settled and um that we were all kind of reassured that everything was was we were all okay uh before going in but no this was all this all happened pretty quickly so um it wasn't anything we had to adapt to it was just we all knew that if this was going ahead it would have to be this is the way it had to be it'd have to be everyone wearing a mask everyone using i think i went through an entire bottle of hand sanitizer in the, in the course of about 10 hours <laughs> just everybody <laughs> yeah and I, I think as well like i don't know about you guys but definitely for the first stage of us like i like i had stuff that i was hoping to work on planning on working on and the pure intensity like when i'm saying impacted by covid i do mean like the broad spectrum of it but just your your kind of mental capacity especially when the first thing the first wave hit and you'd no idea what's going on and, and it was so stressful i found it really difficult to create stuff because like i couldn't have the full have full use of my executive function because this was used so much for me just being worried about stuff rather than you know kind of developing ideas and 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 i i, I don't know like i just think like it's it's so nice now to be like at a point where you can see this point in the distance where this will be over. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really hard. Like I, I find that I've actually found the second lockdown much harder mentally because I felt with the first one, I was like, well, we'll get through it. And, you know, probably by Christmas, it'll all be, you know, it'll be like, huh, can't re- like remember what happened in March and April and May. That was terrible, but at least everything's under control now. But now it just kind of feels like it's just this ongoing rolling problem that like nobody can see this, definitive way out and this is just the way life's going to be so it's i find i find the second one actually much di- more difficult um, you know what i mean just because you're it's so hard to actually know like nobody knows when this is gonna we're gonna come out the other side of this and what things are gonna look like and um if that makes sense you know yeah definitely like i'm just trying to picture being at a festival and, and chatting to people with wine in a room and like it's just i can't picture doing that comfortably at all, even if we all are vaccinated and every, you know, we're out the other side of things. I think it's just changed a mindset that I don't know if it will fully change back ever. Yeah. But we'll see. Like maybe, you know, in a year's time, we'll be looking back and go, do you remember that? That was a funny time. Everything's normal again. But I don't know. It's 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 like it's a very kind of deep impacting thing. And, it, and there's the physicality of the, the sets there. There's planning for the future. Like, will this affect stories going forward? You know, like, I mean, 
it's going to be a different world after this, especially for young people. Um, how will that affect the scripts that are in development now? I don't know. This is just stuff that I'm, I would ask you guys that if there's anything there that kind of what's been your experience of it, Margaret? Um, well, I was when we went into lockdown first, I was very lucky because I had actually just gone back to college. I was doing a postgraduate in culture and creative entrepreneurship in Trinity. And it had been in the college and then it went all online. And I was like, it was so busy. Uh, it was such a privilege because I was able to panic about deadlines and word counts and projects and PowerPoints and stuff like that. And I knew myself that, that if I hadn't had that to occupy myself, it was really busy. It was a tr- it was extraordinary because the kids were home and you have to homeschool and everything was online. And my poor daughter is just as you're talking about stories like she's 14. So my 14 year old has been home basically staring at her mommy and daddy for the last year, pretty much, which is not natural for a 14 year old. We've all been 14. You need your friends. You're out there trying to figure yourself out. So it's been really tough on kids. Um, so I, and my nine year old has been better because he's younger and he's more he's happier to hang out with his parents. But as far as stories are concerned, uh, it'll be interesting to see the stories that those young people have around COVID and their experience of it in years from now and the impact that that's going to have on them. Because I think as an adult, you have a capacity if you're of any say, like, you know, my, you know, horrible things happen and yet you survive them. I'm not saying you survive them on, on kind of on hurt or anything like that, but you know that you, this will eventually get better and you'll get, you know, you'll go on. But when you're at that age, it's, um, that's a, it's a huge thing for them to happen kind of formatively. So we'll see, you know, um, but they've been great. I think young people have gotten a little bit of negativity from the point of view of they're being blamed for congregating. Most of them haven't. Most of them have been heroic and brilliant and they need to deserve a lot of praise for how they've handled it, to be honest. So we'll see. Hopefully those stories will come through. And has it impacted what you're working on now? Well, I think the creativity thing is big, you know, so I'm still learning and figuring things out. So I have, um, I've certainly made the effort to try and write stuff and apply for various different bursaries. I suppose after I'd finished my course, you know, it was kind of, the reason I did it was so that I could have a clearer path in my head as to what I wanted to do. And because I'd been at home with my kids for so long and I'm new to the industry at an older age, I needed help with you know, the whole business of imposter syndrome, you know, it, it's just a reality for lots of people. Um, um, and it did really help. But then you're like, now what? <laughs> you know, because the industry is actually shut down. But I did the, funnily enough, uh, Natasha was talking about, you know, being on set. And I did the COVID training online. I did a lot of online courses with Screen Ireland, which were, who are, have been, Screen Training Ireland, who have been absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, incredible um, um, and I did the COVID certification thing and I failed it <laughs> I had to go back and do it and I thought well that's actually really interesting because I was like <laughs> I know this and obviously I didn't know it so you know note to self I think it's very worthwhile for everybody to do it because you think you might know it but actually you know there are certain things maybe you haven't quite understood yeah so that's it and I'm just trying to write a bit more I'm trying to kind of learn a bit more about or figure out my process a bit more and and understand my style my voice 
which can take a minute, you know, um, and all the things that Natasha mentioned in her process, I'm learning about those now. So the visual cues and the mood boards and stuff. So I'm trying to be industrious and uh, I have lots of scripts though, if anybody wants one. <laughs> so a little 10 minutes. You have uh, some talented directions here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to read your scripts. Yeah. And if you I'll want... send them all to you now, Mo, just yeah, so you say that. Yeah, I'll PDF them and send them on. Grant. <laughs> and another great one. Um, if you if you've gotten a paid credit for anything, uh, the writers guild reads. Like they're really good. They they have yeah. um they have um things focused specifically for women and it's yeah. no people. I just think they're great as well. They've been brilliant, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. People have been um, like they're really like there's a lot of for me I've gotten a lot of training, a lot of input that I've made. I wouldn't have gotten on my own because it wouldn't have been, I would again it would have been the expense thing and the time thing. So yes, there's lots of positives in that perspective. But it, it's it's the kind of trying to create and cope and adapt and all of the other things it's tough yeah yeah definitely and case you know we shot a little i think i said earlier we shot a little film just recently we shot it's just temporary back in 2019 so you know it was it was only a nightmare to come at that point but um and so with this little film that we did the main challenge for us was we i had to have two act the two main actors um are these two young women and I had to find somebody who had a friend who was in their pod. And I was able to do that only by sheer luck. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to make the film at all. Um, the rest of us, of course, we wore masks the entire time and we were all very socially distanced from each other. So <clears throat> that worked out fine. Um, and then there's a third character who doesn't really interact with anybody at all so that that was fine but going forward yeah I don't know I don't know it's just going to be really challenging I think um I don't know how I would do it I would I would have to adapt something to the situation I think at this point I've been lucky though for one in one way because I have actually felt very creatively inspired during this time I actually wrote a feature script you know, we made this little film and I just finished NaNoWriMo. So, I, you know, I, I actually, for some reason, you know, it just, um, I've been feeling pretty creatively inspired. So I, I, I feel lucky because I know that feeling, I know that that is a, that a lot of people, creative people who I love and know well have suffered from this, like I can't read, I can't write, I can't, you know, and I, I get it. I, I, that frustration must be intense because I just feel lucky that I am able to like, you know, till still tell myself stories. So I feel lucky in that way. And Megan. Yeah. I mean, it's affected, uh, my creative process in a lot of ways I mean for Love in the Time of Corona as I said I got the call it was it was really a call that said what can you do under the circumstances for that amount of money like I could have gone out and just shot 
like um, a creative documentary, like on my phone, like I could have done anything. But of course, I made life really difficult for myself and decided to actually make a narrative short. But uh, in a lot of ways, I was very lucky. You know, I live with my sister and her girlfriend who my sister is an actor. She just graduated from Bow Street and her girlfriend used to do theatre acting. So they were both very happy to play the uh <laughs> the, the housemates uh, had the you know my apartment we could shoot in uh, Fiona was you know everybody was people I'd already worked with lived locally and then yeah I mean Fiona got a COVID test beforehand um, and everybody while we were shooting in, in the house wore masks and I had a little sanitization station on the way in and all that kind of thing uh, and then obviously when we went out to the park as well just everybody just everybody keeping distance and stuff. But yeah, as I say, uh, Love in the Time of Corona was created around, you know, like what can we do and how can we do it in the safest way? So it's not a great example um, of how, you know, production is going forward because then at the same time um, I direct on Fair City and um, like that's been a massive upheaval to make that COVID safe, you know, and they've done an amazing job, but it is really difficult because, you know, the sets are small, you're shooting on multi-camera. So you, you, um, you know, the equipment itself is taking up so much space, never mind when you put the actors in and put all the crew in. Um, so it means, you know, it's had to change your directing style completely. You can't spend as much time on the floor. You kind of have to go away up to the viewing gallery and do a lot more directing from there. Which is difficult, but in another way, I suppose it's been, you know, it's pushed me to learn how to direct in that way, um, which is the way that you're expected to direct, to, to direct a lot more on some of the UK soaps and stuff like that. So I'm trying to see the positives in um, learning how to be a little bit more strict about safety protocol on, on, on set because, you know, that, that might be how it's going to be in the future. Um, but like from a personal perspective as well, I've definitely in the first lockdown had that crippling experience of just being like my emotions and my brain are just taken up far too much by just general concern to be able to generate any new ideas. Uh, I just did a lot of napping <laughs> and it's just like, I'm going to go back to bed. I can't deal with this. Um, but then I actually decided to return to studying again and I'm doing an MPhil in screenwriting at Trinity at the moment. Oh. Uh, so like Margaret said, like it's actually been pretty amazing to have deadlines and feedback and structure mm. Uh, and somebody to kick my ass and go actually write that feature that you've been procrastinating about for two years, you know. And so I've written a 30 minute short and I'm writing a series Bible and a, a, a family kids film at the moment. I'm kind of like allowing myself to write all the things that I wouldn't usually write because I'd be like, I won't get production funding for this. I won't be able to make this. You know, when you're a writer director, so often you're writing for the purpose of this needs to only be 10 minutes because I won't get funding for something that's more than 10 minutes or this needs to not get that fantastical because I won't have that budget. Whereas kind of for the first time studying, studying screenwriting, I'm allowing myself to really explore these very uh, fantastical high concept worlds and um, just, just go for it creatively because there's not much to lose at the moment. <laughs> But no, you're you're totally right that it and it's lovely to do something to go like if I was writing for Netflix and I had that like really big budget, 
I have one final question for everybody. With comedy, editing is key. Like timing is so important. I think comedy and horror maybe are the two ones in which timing is everything really. How do you address that in your work and what have you kind of done to achieve those those lovely beats in, in the way that you have? So Natasha. Oh, uh, just I'd say find the out, find like just look for the out and you'll know what that is. Like there'll be kind of a right time. It'll feel like a puzzle piece. And once you see that out, then cut it there and then move on to the reaction or the gag or the the scare or whatever it is. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) And would you do much kind of back and forth with actors and give them a bit of space to to try different beats? Or would you, especially in a shorter film, you might not have the budget or would you just... Oh yeah, no, I do. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. I give them. Yeah, I mean, like we we figure it out, all right. But it was it would uh, if yeah, no, I'd, I'd work. I'd, I do a lot. I try to do a lot of rehearsals and a lot of kind of converse, conversations with them on, on where to find that. Before, you know, you kind of have to edit a little bit as you go along. Like when you're actually directing it or producing it on the day, so that at least you know where that will be, and hopefully, hopefully, where that will be on when you go to cut. Um, but it's kind of sometimes, especially when you're doing comedy, it has to, you know, or, or horror, you kind of have to have a really good idea of where that kind of timing is going to be. So, um, and then when you're in the edit, you kind of always inevitably end up molding something slightly different anyway, sometimes. <laughs> Great. And Margaret? Um, well, I was kind of spoiled because I kind of knew my, a lot of my cast and I knew they were, just, they were really strong kind of on timing. Colm in particular, who played uh, the character of Mark, he's brilliant. So I wrote that part for him. So I knew, you know, I knew how he was going to do it even before he said it. But then he surprised me. He was, he put other things in. But actually, um, when I was in the edit, you can, it's, it's difficult because you're there. We didn't, we had a two day shoot as well. So I think if I ever get, if I get a chance to film again, I'll, I'll try and make more time for more shots and maybe have a shorter film or more time on set. But, um, it was, I found, strangely enough, turning off the sound in the edit helped because if it works without the sound on, if you can see it actually, then when you, that helps to find your cutoff point. Um, that, that, did, that did help me. So, I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. And Kate. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to go right off of Margaret's comment because um, really for me, the comedic stuff comes from reactions. So, um, you know, I think the cut, you know, is really dependent on the other actor's reaction to what is happening or to the actor's reaction to what is happening. So I think that's how I work that. And um, Brilliant. And Megan? Yeah, I think um, for me, often um, I like to kind of sit on a long shot and kind of have the comedy take place in that. So sometimes I won't have the reactions to um, to rely on and to cut to. So uh, I definitely often have to do a couple of takes to get that pacing right in the mm. one shot uh, so that I'm not sitting on it too long. Like say that shot in Love and the Time of Corona where she does sit down and scratches her crotch. I feel it's like, it's just a hair. It's it's a hair too long. And it really uh, kind of frustrates me. I just wish it was a little bit tighter, but there's nothing to cut to. It's just one shot. So um, I have to live with it. And I'm sure probably no one else 
feels maybe that it's too long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think um, it's great when you do have the option in the edit of uh, of reactions and places that you can cut to, because uh, it is all all about timing completely. Um, I've watched, you know, other shorts of mine and just really, the, the moments you cringe the most are when you're like, this is here for just a second too long. That We're on this for just, oh, we're just, we're losing it because we're here for just, just that little moment too long. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a mix. It's a mix of getting that pacing right in the performance and then also relying on, on the good editor, I think. And the edit is key as well. Like it, it shows your own internal compass, how right you are and how you just have to trust it. And it's not like a logical thing. Like there's no screen book that says this shot has to be exactly this amount of time. It's just your gut going, this is just not 100% there. And then you're just knowing that and trusting yeah. that little voice in you. And I'm going to ask Mo, because Mo is brilliant comedy stuff. Go on, Mo. Sorry, you're chilling out there. You're just having a listen. But I, I think you do brilliant comedy stuff. So I really want to ask about your timing. Oh, thanks. Um, well, I suppose uh, I think I think visually, I suppose uh, initially I have the edit in my head. So I because uh, because I edit my stuff. So even when I'm on set, I'm kind of thinking, okay, you know, uh, kind of obviously regulating the performances. Uh, you know, different peaks. There's different points where it's something is funnier. Sometimes an actor will give you something, and you're like, oh, that's great. And then you kind of have to rearrange the edit in your head, you know, to make sure, because it's like music. It's like the dum dum And then, poof, then you got the big kind of, you know, joke or whatever. So if it changes slightly on set, you got to kind of rearrange it in your head. But then when you're doing the edit, uh, you, you know, you go by setting your, you know, you know, your shots up the way you wanted it. Often, though, uh, the music of it changes slightly a little bit. And so I, what I do is I, I do like three or four cuts of each scene and I send them off to people. <laughs> Um, what I prefer to do, though, uh, is as I prefer to bring people to me, so I'll listen to them, um, and I'll just see how they how they laugh, um, and, and and different people as well. Like, so I'll show it to my parents, you know, who are of different generation, and I show it to people who are younger and stuff, and and uh, yeah. So and, and then I just talk through it with people, you know, with people who are filmmakers and who aren't filmmakers, and uh, that's what I do. So I literally do about three or four cuts, um, and play around with it for ages to make sure because it's really hard to know um and you want to squeeze the laughter out of every single moment so so yeah that's what I do anyway and it's so true because when at that stage you were working with it for so long like you're so familiar with the footage you're you're so kind of familiar with the story the actors and everything so by the time you get to that bit where it's, it's right it's easy to get that kind of close blindness as well so that's a very good a very very good tactic any thoughts or comments for each other before we scooch away. Well done, everybody. Yeah. All these films are they're so yeah. different, they're so diverse, and it's so refreshing. And just keep making lots of films because yeah. they're wonderful. They're great. You know, it's yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Like yeah, it's, it's a great to be part of it. For for sure. Great stories. Thank you so much, Mo, for putting it together. And thank you, Mo. No, not at all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mo. And good luck. I hope you get some rest next week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys so much uh, for coming. And thank you to Wift again and Gemma. Thank you so much. And you guys are amazing. And I absolutely love your film. So yeah, keep making it. Thank you. Thanks so much for chatting with us, everyone. Thank you so much, Gemma. It's lovely. Thank Thank you. Bye. 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 This event was organised in partnership with the Dublin International Comedy Film Festival. 
and with the support of the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. You can listen back to part one and find out more about what we do at wft.ie. Until the next time, thank you for listening. For more content, podcasts and information, please visit our website at wft.ie.